Hi everyone, I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth, and this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. This week's guest is Kayla Barnes, an entrepreneur and certified brain health coach with a mission to help her clients and community achieve optimal health through science-backed and proven approaches. Barnes has been named one of the top longevity leaders globally and has been featured in Forbes, Thrive Global, Birdie, Be Well, and Biohackers Magazine. Barnes studied nutrition and has trained under the renowned brain doctor, Dr. Daniel Amen. In this episode, we dive deep into all things brain health and brain optimization. Kayla shares the top three disruptors to our brain health and tips to overcome them, the best foods and supplements to support our brain, why our brain health is so important, and other lifestyle factors that affect the brain like stress, glucose levels, and more. Keep listening to learn all about brain health and biohacking our brain with Kayla Barnes. Kayla, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to meet you, so excited to dive into all things brain health today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited as well. So you are going to be such a wealth of knowledge of how to optimize, biohack, upgrade our brain, and really want to start with your story of how you got to study brain health and kind of your own personal wellness journey that got you here. Yeah, you know, I think that so many practitioners, they kind of start in the same way, or at least from what I found. I certainly was a very sick kid. I thought that the pink medicine, the amoxicillin was like a treat and I was like having it all the time. I had chronic <laughs> ear infections that later manifested into other issues that I was dealing with. So that was, that was part of it. That's why I got interested really in getting to the root cause or the functional medicine side of things, I would say because I wasn't getting a lot of answers that I liked from standard Western medicine. So I started doing a ton of research on my own. This was really, really early. I was actually still like late in my high school years when all of this was kind of happening. When I graduated, I hired a functional medicine doctor and we almost immediately figured out what was really going on. So with some supplements and lifestyle changes, I was able to get rid of all the symptoms that I had had in the past when it really lit a light bulb in my head. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Our bodies can heal themselves. And at the same point, in my opinion, our most important organ is our brain. So our brain controls how we think it it controls how successful we are. It controls how our personal relationships are going to be our mindset and so much more. I think it's the most important organ. Also, you know, we can't have a brain transplant at this point. So I wanted to kind of change the way that my mindset worked. And I knew that in order to do that, I was going to have to upgrade the physical health of my brain. So kind of parallel to, you know, getting to some of the root causes on my own, I started to study nutrition in school because I was so interested in the ability of food to work as medicine. And I started looking into resources for the brain and I came across Dr. Daniel Amen. What I love so much about him is that he was really offering a groundbreaking method in psychiatry. So most of the time, when you go to a psychiatrist, they don't actually look at the brain. So if you're having problems with your heart, they're always going to look at the heart and see what's going on. And, and for the most part, that wasn't happening with brain related or mental health related issues. So he did something called the spec scan and he actually started looking at the brain and what may be wrong physically with the brain that's then leading and manifesting into different symptoms of mental health disorders. So I became ultra fascinated by him and I started studying under him and took all of his programming, which was a game changer for me because it only focused on the brain. The good thing is, is that when what you do to the brain, if you do beneficial things to the brain, it's also beneficial to the body. So that's what really kind of got me interested. And I'm a lifelong learner. The first thing I do every day is read, you know, neuroscience news, and I'm constantly researching and, and seeing what the science says, but then also seeing through the biohacking side of things, how I feel, you know, what small changes or incremental changes can I make in my lifestyle and my diet, things of that nature to make me feel my best. So what were some of the most fascinating things that you saw from a brain scan that it would say, okay, here's the physical and then how it was manifesting? 
Yeah, definitely. So when you think about, for instance, like trauma or, you know, emotional trauma, these patterns, they show up in the brain. You can see the emotional brain really, really, we kind of call it, say it like the brain is on fire. So you see the emotional centers extremely overactive. So there's a literal physical manifestation of these different symptoms. Blood flow is super important to the brain. So when we think about brain health, I really like to think of how, sh how good is the blood flow? Because if you have poor blood flow, that can also lead to a variety of symptoms, whether it be brain fog or ADHD, and you can see blood flow reduced in different areas on spec scans. Also traumatic brain injuries or even light concussions. You know, our brain is about the consistency of soft butter. So if you think of soft butter and then our skull is really hard and bony and rigid inside, it's actually a lot easier to get a head trauma than some people might not realize. So in many cases, and through my training at the Amen Clinics, you know, they would see these issues of maybe, and again, this is not specific to any one individual case, but maybe alcoholism or a lot of anger issues. And then when you look at the scan, you see that there was actual brain trauma. So when you kind of start to heal that, you see a lot of those symptoms lift. So it's, it's really interesting. And to That's me, it so makes cool. the, the most sense, right? Like, let's look at what's going on so we can actually start to heal the brain and then hopefully alleviate a lot of these symptoms and change the trajectory of some people's lives. It's incredible that it's just such common practice to do a scan of the heart, as you were saying, but that so few people were and c continue, I suppose, to not be practicing looking at scanning the brain. Absolutely. And I, I hope that as we move forward, it's something that becomes more accessible, definitely, because at this point, it's not the most accessible thing. But I, I believe that every psychiatry system should be looking at, at this because it, it's going to give you a lot more direction. So as a certified brain health coach, can you talk a little bit about how you work with clients and like what that really means and what that really looks like? Absolutely. So I typically, and, and everyone can kind of specialize in different areas. I kind of work with high performers since I'm also on the biohacking side of things. So CEOs. And let's talk are, about, let's take a step back for one second. Like for those who don't know, or we hear the term biohack, what does that really mean? So biohacking is upgrading the environment internally and externally to benefit your health. So we can dive really deep into all this stuff, but it could be as simple as changing your diet. It could be as simple as cleaning up your home atmosphere, whether that be toxins in the home, like candles and fragrance or the fragrance you're putting on your body, body products. But then it can also be deeper stuff like testing. And there's all these crazy devices that biohackers are always posting. I have a Nanavi next to me, which is good for like reducing oxidative stress. But at the most basic level, biohacking is really, in my opinion, it's just taking control of your health, looking at your data and then optimizing your biology. So you feel your best and, you know, can perform your best because let's be honest, we're only here for right now a pretty short amount of time and for me I want to wake up every morning like bursting with energy get a great night's sleep the day before and just be able to show up in every way you know for people that I love and and all of the whole nine yards you know just feel great absolutely and as we were talking about before this started to record we might be living to 200 so we might have longer time than we think but in the meantime definitely need to be optimizing what we're doing in order to get to that point. Yeah. And you know, there, we have to kind of, we can look at this in two ways. We have our lifespan, which is the number of years that we live. And then we have our health span, which is the number of healthy years that we live. And, you know, for me, even if I don't live to 200, I want my last days to still be filled with vitality and energy. And when we think about the brain, you know, Alzheimer's and dementia are things that I want to stave off for as long as possible. And maybe even get to the point where I don't have to experience that because I don't want to be at a point where I forget my family or, you know, keys or small things in the beginning. And then, you know, near the end, it's like forgetting, you know, so many things about your life. And so I definitely want to have a longer health span. And that's why I invest so much time and energy into this. Awesome. Okay. So getting back to how you work with clients on yes. their brains, what does that look like? Yeah. So I mostly work with high performers, people that are looking to take their cognition from good to great. 
And it's a very holistic, but multifaceted approach. We do everything from looking at blood biomarkers, things like gut health, because your gut and your brain are really closely connected, hormone health, thyroid health, all of these lifestyle metrics like sleep. I love it when people have aura rings or any data biomarker kind of tracker are great. And then we, we, you know, sometimes we use spec scans as well if they're having some cognitive issues, but it's really a very holistic but functional approach to upgrading their cognition. And luckily that also benefits their overall health, energy, vitality as well. So as you think about, I guess, to take a step back of like really what are those most important parts about having great brain health and like why sure we hear that word it like so interchanged in conversation yeah we want a healthy brain but why is that so important can you go a little bit into like the connection that that has into our daily life yeah i mean i mentioned in the beginning but everything that we do is connected to our brain so and we might not always position or think of it that way you know we might think that we are not feeling very well or having a low mood just because that's the way it is, but that's not necessarily true. You know, the health of our brain is a big determinant of that. So everything from personal relationships to even limiting beliefs, the interpersonal relationships, success, our brain is tied to everything that we do because it's all the decisions that we're making. So that's why, in my opinion, you know, it's, it's the most important thing to put first. And obviously everybody is different and we all process things in different ways. But if you were to put, you know, your kind of top three disruptors to our brain health, what would that be? So, yeah, there's a quite a long list of things that could be disrupting your brain health. But I definitely would say lack of sleep or disturbed sleep is a really, really big one. Between our phones and blue light and constant connectivity and Netflix, I mean, I feel like it steals our time. We always want to stay up for one more episode, but sleep. (laughs) That was me last night. (laughs) Sleep is so foundational. So when we're sleeping, something called our body's glymphatic system is activated. And that's the brain's cellular waste clearance and recycling. So if we're not getting enough sleep and we're not getting also not only just the hours, so seven to nine hours is what is recommended, but it also depends on the quality of sleep. So I wear an aura ring and that tells me how much deep sleep I get and how much REM sleep. So it's during those deeper stages of sleep that the glymphatic system is most active. So we really want the opportunity for the brain to go in, clean itself so that we can wake up feeling refreshed. Memories are stored. Sleep is one of the most foundational pieces of brain health. So I would certainly say Lack of sleep or poor quality sleep is is a major one. I would also say toxins. So many of us have a lot of toxins in our home that we might not even be thinking about. I mean, one huge one is mold. So if you live in an older building or even some newer buildings, if you're experiencing any symptoms like fatigue, just not feeling well, it might be worth looking into because if you have mold in the home or a significant amount of toxins, that can present even in a spec scan as well as like a, a toxic brain. So other things that we might not be thinking about like makeup and beauty products and household cleaners, you know, these can all be really impactful to our bodies, our endocrine systems and our brain. I always lose friends when I say this, but also mind altering substances like alcohol, for instance, it, it truly is a neurotoxin. So I know the alcohol consumption and I can understand why, but I know that it really increased during a uh, pandemic. And I think that we just need to be a little bit more conscious of these things because there are studies that show that even just one glass of wine a day can actually shrink the overall volume and size of your brain. Wow. So that's something we definitely don't want to do. And then I would say the last piece, if I had to name top three, is food. You know, our our brain is literally made up of what we feed it. And our brain is also an extremely consumptive organ. So even though it's only about two to three pounds, it uses about 30% of our energy every day. So that means that the calories that we're consuming are then going, I literally think of it this way. And it also changes the 
the food that you choose to eat. I think of the food, it's just breaking down and going to my brain and that's the fuel. So do you want your brain to be made out of like Doritos or do you want your brain to be made out of like blueberries and grass-fed steak? So the foods that we're consuming, when we have these highly processed or inflammatory foods, if there's inflammation in the body, there's inflammation in the brain. So I always recommend people look at their inflammation levels, uh, the HSCRP levels, because if you have high inflammation in the body, like I said, you're going to have inflammation in the brain and food is such a big piece of that. Stress is also closely linked with inflammation, but I definitely would say looking at, and I have what I call the brain healthy diet consists of a lot of healthy fats because the brain is made with mostly fat and water. So avocado, organic olive oil is great. Walnuts are amazing. Walnuts actually kind of look like a brain. So that's always easy to know that it's good for brain health. Wild caught fatty fish are great because they're a really good source of EPA and DHA, which the brain just really loves those great omega-3s. Optimal protein intake is really important for neurotransmitter function. Things like dopamine, serotonin, which dopamine is our like motivation and serotonin is linked to mood and happiness or organic greens are some great brain foods, uh, dark cacao. So chocolate is amazing. I always choose like 70% cacao or higher. And then I would also say wild blueberries are incredible loaded with antioxidants, polyphenols. So it's really like the input. So we want to put more of the positive things into the body and into your environment and take out the negative ones for optimal brain health. Well, I would love to kind of dive into each of those three biggest offenders a little bit more. So talking about food, we'll start with that. I'm curious to hear what is like a, a, not to be perfect, but what's a perfect day of your diet look like that would, would be a great way to think about what we're eating? And do you intermittent fast? Yeah, great questions. So do I intermittent fast? I do. Women have to be a little bit more careful than men. And then there was a recent study that just came out. I don't know if you saw it, but they said for like weight loss, specifically intermittent fasting didn't have a huge impact. But I like to think of things as how would our ancestors do it? And we certainly didn't have access to food 24 hours a day every minute of the day. So yes, I, I do fast and, and I don't always necessarily say, okay, I'm doing this because I'm fasting. I just have an eating window. First of all, you don't want to eat too close to bed because if you do eat too close to bed, I would say within three hours prior to bed, your body's going to be busy digesting your food, especially if you have a heavy meal. So you're not going to get into those deeper stages of sleep that are so important for the body's lymphatic system. So definitely stopping eating a little bit earlier before bed is important. And I do think that there are some benefits too. I mean, the brain, this is always a big debate, but does the brain like sugar? Does it like ketones? So the brain standardly runs off glucose. I would say that you can probably have, you know, 40 to 100 grams of, you know, a day, which I get from wild blueberries of glucose and the brain can be happy, but then it can also run on ketones, which I think is healthy to kind of go in and out of using ketones for fuel, then using, you know, the glucose or the sugar. So yes, I like fasting. I don't think that we need to push our bodies to the absolute limit and get obsessed with fasting. And for women, we want to be conscious of um, our cycles and how we feel. But so do you yes, do like a 14, 16 hour or what, what sort of time restriction do you do? I eat between six and eight hour window and then I have the rest of, of the time off. But you know, I used to be more strict on it. And then now I just say, as long as I'm having good foods, if I'm hungry, I'm going to eat. But listen to your um, body. yeah, I, I listen to my body. And if I'm not hungry, then, you know, I don't force myself to eat first thing in the morning. And so it's always kind of changing, but I'm really intuitive when it comes to that. The second piece about food, and if we want to say what's a perfect day in my diet, I think it would be remiss not to mention this, but bioindividuality is so important. So I've had, I think it's well worth the investment to get, for example, a gut test and also a food sensitivity test. And I've done those through a company. If you're interested, I can share that, but yeah. it will tell you what foods that are beneficial for you and then what foods to potentially avoid. So I think it'll save you a lot of time and effort because you can eat kale and then I can eat kale and there can be two completely different responses to that. And for, as an example, if you know, you hear that almonds are good or kale is great for you. And so you're like, okay, I'm going to have kale every meal. I'm going to be really good. 
and then you're doing that, but your body can't break it down based on your genetics, then unfortunately it's not going to have the same benefit. And to be honest, you're probably going to feel bloated. You're not going to be able to digest the food as well. And over time, it's almost like a, it's like a busy New York network of cars. And if one car gets hit, then another car and things start to back up. So you want to have foods that are best for you, but as a rough outline, my meals, and by the way, I eat two meals, but I eat two big meals and then I have a smoothie. So I have for breakfast, I have some wild caught smoked salmon, and then I have two eggs. I have some greens with a little bit of olive oil and a little bit of lemon. And then I have a really nutrient dense smoothie. I love packing a ton of stuff in there. So I do wild blueberries. I do some colostrum. I do like an athletic greens powder that that kind of covers my mineral basis for the day. Sometimes I actually put liver in there because organ meats are actually, and so sorry if anyone- Not liver oil, this, like pure the meat? Yeah, like the actual meat. I um, put it into cubes and then I freeze it and then I put it in my smoothie. Because if you look at the nutrient profile, and you can certainly get this other ways, you don't have to do this, but it's one of the most nutrient dense foods on the planet in terms of magnesium and zinc and copper and all these different minerals. So I put it in there, but I try to put not so much. So the taste is like not very good. Put a little bit of that in there. I put a little bit of this, uh, this neural RX. I put some creatine cause I usually work out after this. So I try to just load it up with a bunch of organic blueberries, things of that. I top it with some cacao, some chia seeds. I put my, uh, cod liver oil in there. So like my fish oil and that's like my smoothie. So that's what I usually have in the morning. And that probably sounds like a lot. So you definitely don't have to do all that, but basically you want to have some sort of protein, some healthy fat. Oh, and I have avocado in the morning. I think I mentioned that, but some protein, some healthy fat, and maybe some like smart carbs. And when I say smart carbs, I mean a slower digesting carb. So we don't want to really refined carb, something like a sweet potato or something that's going to last you longer than, you know, a packaged carb. So that's breakfast. And then for dinner, I usually have uh, sometimes another salmon or some grass fed, a little bit of grass fed beef. That's, and I love the way Mark Hyman said it. I think he said, use beef and meat as a condiment. So it's not like a huge overtaking, but then some veggies, some organic greens. Sometimes I have a handful of nuts too. I also really love sardines. I do like sardines with um, a little bit of avocado mayo and some pickles or some red onions and make it into like a salad, kind of like you would a chicken salad or something. So that's that. And then some chocolate too. I have like two pieces of chocolate a day. I always say it's my mood booster. Totally. Well, yeah. I, I do love your point, but starting that off of like, we are all bio-individual and it is so important to find out what works for you. Cause definitely there is no one size fits all, but the commonality is certain, certainly loading up on variety of great veggies, fruits, good fats, and a sparing or a condiment size of meats. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've got to pay attention to how food makes you feel. If you don't feel well after eating something, even if you don't take a test, I mean, that's fine. Just pay a lot of attention. Like, do you feel great after it or do you not feel so well and kind of find what works for you. But at the same point, you do want diversity in the diet as well, because each different food kind of feeds different bacteria in our gut. So it's important to mix things up. I did love at integrative nutrition. One of like the beginning things they said when working with clients was going through a, I forget what they called it, a breakfast experiment where essentially each day you had a different type of breakfast and wrote down how you, how you felt, how the food made you feel two hours later, four hours later. And I think it is such a great tool for people to use for free at home to really try to uncover what makes you feel tired, what makes you feel energized because a sweet potato for one person might be completely different of how you feel after for another. Absolutely. And another part of what I would call brain healthy diet is keeping your blood sugar stable. I know that this is becoming very popular now with some of the CGMs. I was actually wearing a CGM way before it was mainstream. And we want to keep our blood sugar level stable because when we have a big spike, from food. So every time that we eat food, you know, we have some sort of glycemic response. So if we have a massive spike, like let's say one thing I do love eating that I should eat less of, and this is kind of new for me, but dates taste amazing, but they're also very high in sugar. So I try to limit them. But when I eat a date, you know, it's going to spike your blood sugar and then it's going to crash. So then you feel energy for a, a little bit and then you feel a crash that can also lead to brain fog. So for the most steady and stable 
cognition, we want to keep our blood sugar level stable. So for example, in the morning when we have breakfast, we want to try to have a savory breakfast, not sweet, not only because it'll keep our blood sugar levels more stable, but it also, the studies show that if you have a really sweet breakfast, you're going to crash and then you're going to have massive cravings a little bit later. And you know, just a couple hours of time, I think in the studies, people that had a sugary breakfast were hungry two hours later and people that had uh, more healthy fats and satiating breakfast with some protein in there were hungry five hours later. So we want to try to, you know, we set ourselves up for either success or more cravings later in the day, depending on what we choose the first thing in the morning for breakfast. I think I recently heard the founder of Levels talking about that if you, again, everybody is unique, but if you go on a walk a little bit after consuming something that may spike your blood sugar more, that that was a good way to bring it down. Is that accurate? Is that a good biohack? That's definitely an amazing biohack. Yeah, a little walk can, you know, actually blunt the response by like 20 to 30 points, depending. So, and it can just be like 10 minutes. So it's, there's definitely science. I feel like it's like an old adage, you know, take a little walk after dinner to help settle the stomach, but it also is really settling your glucose. So that's definitely a good glucose hack. And then always, if you're going to have something more sweet, so even when I have blueberries, for example, I'll put a little bit of coconut meat in with the blueberries. I think it tastes great, but it also gives you a healthy fat to blunt that little bit of glucose that's in the blueberries. So if you pair a ha- fat with a protein and then whatever your carb is, and even the order that you eat those things too. So if you're going to have a carb, a protein, and a healthy fat, if you eat the protein and the healthy fat first, and then the carbs, the protein and the healthy fat are going to help blunt that glucose response. So, and everyone, yeah, is, is really bio-individual too, because I could eat a sweet potato and you could, and the glycemic response could be very different. Well, all this technology that's coming out is so exciting to be able to personalize and figure out what works for you. So on that topic, before we get to technology and all of that, curious to hear as we end kind of the food conversation from a supplement perspective, what do you, again, everyone's different, but if someone's really just starting out and trying to start taking some supplements to support their brain, what would you recommend to start with? I I love fish oil, especially if you're not getting enough fish in your diet. Fish oil, you gotta be careful. You don't wanna just grab one like right off the shelf because if it's been sitting there, it could potentially oxidize. So I like to do like a cod liver oil, but those are great for the brain really really powerful. I love turmeric or like there's a, it's called brain curcumin. So again, kind of working on that inflammatory response in the brain. So turmeric or brain curcumins is the one that I use. ALA, phosphatidylserine can be good. Choline is really great for the brain, which I mean, you could get that from like eggs, but you could also take it in a supplement form. I like alpha GPC for memory a little bit. So it really depends on what you're, what you're going for, but I think definitely a fish oil and maybe like a turmeric would be a good place to start. And then depending on if you want it for more for like a nootropic benefit, or if you're looking for just supporting cognition, there's a couple different options there. B vitamins are really good for the brain health too. So making sure your B vitamins are optimized and magnesium and vitamin D, you know, so many people are deficient in vitamin D. I definitely recommend if you can to get the most bioavailable form, which is from the sun, but in the winter months, vitamin D is really important for brain health. So as we go back to your first biggest disruptor to our brain health and talk about sleep, I think it's something unanimously that people have trouble with getting both to your point, both enough of and good quality. What great tips, biohacks do you have around improving our sleep? Quite a few. So one big one is again, alcohol. So a lot of people think alcohol makes them sleep better or puts them to sleep. And while a stick can sometimes make you more drowsy, if you have a glucose monitor or even an aura ring, you'll see every single time that it's gonna put your blood sugar on a roller coaster throughout the night and you're not gonna get good quality sleep. Also your HRV, I mean, this is why I 
really, really scaled back on drinking. I maybe have like a glass of organic wine a month, but when I was looking at my aura ring data, it was showing my HRV would be cut in half. HRV is heart rate variability or the amount of time in between each heartbeat. So a higher HRV is better recovery, less stress on the body. A lower HRV is of course more stress on the body. So alcohol is a big one. If you want to get a great night's sleep, just try not to have alcohol. Or if you are going to have it, I guess, have it a little bit earlier in the day, choose something that's organic, not loaded with all these like red dyes and chemicals and fillers. That's a big one. Blue light blocking glasses before I actually like the red ones. So there's orange ones that you can wear during the day for screens. Then there's red ones that I put on probably two hours prior to bed. And those really start to block out blue light in all forms. And I feel drowsy pretty quick. There's also a few Google called red light phone trick. Ben Greenfield actually taught me this, but it, our phones, we can choose the, the color filters, which it's kind of like yellowish tinted. But if you look up red light phone trick, it will literally go completely red. And that's good for a few reasons. A, it's going to completely block out the blue light, but also your phone becomes a lot less interesting to look at. So Instagram all of a sudden goes from being vivid and great looking to it's a little bit boring because everything's kind of red and you're not as interested in scrolling for so long. That's a great tip. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a game changer. And just three little clicks on the side of your phone and then it goes completely red. So that's a big one. Not eating right before bed, of course. So if you can stop eating like three hours ahead of uh, bedtime, you're going to get a lot better quality sleep. I would also say having some sort of wind down routine. So whether or not that be some journaling or some reading, a lot of people might tend to watch a really captivating show or like anxiety inducing show. I mean, this is just kind of common sense, but if you get your nervous system activated and you're like, can't wait for the next thing, of course, it's going to be really difficult to fall asleep. So I try to have like a hard rule that I only watch either like light things, like maybe a comedy or something or something light or read a book that can certainly help. Also the temperature of your room. So I usually keep my room around 65 degrees Fahrenheit. I don't know the exact Celsius uh, conversion, but when we go to bed, our bodies actually drop almost a full degree. So if we are hot throughout the night, we again won't get those really deep stages of sleep. So keeping a cool room is a really easy biohack. Same thing with light on the skin. So we talked about biohacking uh, kind of glasses, the blue light blocking glasses. But if we have light shining in on our skin, it can still disrupt our circadian rhythm. So my entire room, like I can't see my hand in front of my face when I put my hand out. So blackout shades or I actually, where I'm at right now, I have some like a blackout paper and then anything that is electronic I either have a sticker over it or I remove it the next thing I would recommend is unplugging your wi-fi completely at night there's also some really cheap on amazon you can set a timer so it will automatically turn off but we really want to limit emfs in general or electromagnetic fields as much as we can that's like from cell phones from smart devices Microwaves are notorious for emitting, uh, you know, electromagnetic fields. But at night, it's really important to really reduce any um, exposure as much as possible. So I completely remove the entire Wi-Fi unit from the wall every time I go to bed. So that can also help improve sleep quality. And if you can't do the blackout room, there's some masks, things like that. And of course, you know, things like meditation or trying to get into a parasympathetic state, which is more of a relaxed or they say rest and digest state versus um, more of a fight or flight. So doing whatever you can, breath work can be really powerful. Yeah. So that's making sure magnesium levels are optimized as well. Super important. Look for a full spectrum magnesium because there's multiple forms of magnesium and you want to make sure that you're optimized in all areas, but magnesium plays a big role in sleep as we know as well. How do you feel about any sleep supplements, whether it be magnesium or CBN, melatonin, any of those? Well, I think if you absolutely need it, it's better to take it. But I try and I really recommend people to figure out why they can't go to sleep. Is it anxiety? Is it ruminating thoughts? Is it the environment is wrong? Because it's okay to take a supplement. And sometimes I do. If I have a big morning the day before and I have to go to bed and I'm struggling, I take one. But in an ideal world, we don't want to get you know dependent on something because eventually the effects are going to be diminished and then we're going to just have to take more of it, find something else. So I'm okay 
okay with it, but definitely try to set the stage as well as you can to improve your quality of sleep. Yeah, I think that's really important to, like all health things, try to get to the root of the cause of what's what's not working. Absolutely, yeah. We've talked about sleep and food and supplements. Some of the other great advice that you have on biohacking the brain. Would love to hear some of the other things that you suggest that we can do to really nourish and upgrade it. Definitely exercise. So, I mean, exercise is one of the most powerful things that we can do for our brain. So when we exercise, if we go back to the beginning of our conversation, I talked about blood flow to the brain. Blood flow to the brain is so important. So exercise increases blood flow to the brain. When we increase blood flow, we have better oxygen delivery, better nutrient delivery. So it definitely does that. It also increases something called brain-derived neurotropic factor, which is almost like miracle grow for the brain. There was a point in time where people thought it was impossible to promote neurogenesis or new neuron growth, but we now know that we can. So it definitely helps with BDNF. It also helps with serotonin and dopamine, boosting those neurotransmitters. So all around, you know, if we could think of a pill, and I just made a post today, you know, if there was like a pill that could do all these things and exercise is that pill. I mean, it's incredible for the brain, brain anti-aging, the whole gamut, the body and walking too. So walking, even low level of movement is really important and can improve blood flow to the brain. So I try to get between 10 and 15,000 steps. So I take calls on walks, even better if you can go outside, get a little bit of sun, fresh air, nature. And then of course I do, you know, I work out about five days a week, which is more than you need to. I just enjoy it. Every time I go to the gym on my story, I post brain booster because that's how I think of exercise. Like exercise for me, I mean, it it boosts my mood. It, my happiness is increased because of it. And there's never been a workout that I had that I regretted. So that that's always a great thing. And then, you know, the other side effect of exercise is that, you know, your body, you might, might look the way that you want it to. But really for me, it's, it's the mental component because I know that by getting that blood flow improved to my brain, it's going to be so beneficial for my mindset and my mood. So that's definitely a big one. How much, like if someone isn't into exercising and doesn't enjoy it quite yet, what is that kind of, I don't want to say minimum amount, but minimum amount to really get the BDNF um, benefits in a week's time? Overall, they say that there should be about 150 minutes of what is called zone two. This is for overall optimal health benefits in general, which will also improve blood flow. Zone two is basically like if you're running and you can have a a conversation, it's slightly above that. So you really want to get your heart rate working. And they say it's around like 150 minutes or so. Um, But I actually, I'll send you some studies to include in the show notes too, just some different metrics because it depends on the intensity. And uh, of course, you know, because going to the gym and then really putting effort in versus going to the gym and maybe doing some lighter stuff um, might not get the heart rate up as much. So yeah, but around 150 minutes at least. And then I would definitely try to hit between 10, 12,000 steps. I know it sounds like a lot, but if you just move throughout the day, it usually like hits itself to be honest. Yeah. And now that we're coming into warmer weather, it's a great time to implement walking outside. Absolutely. How about hot and cold? I know that that's a night, a good one. Yeah, absolutely. So cold therapy, I absolutely love it. Studies say that it can significantly boost dopamine, which is our motivation molecule. So I do cold therapy in the morning. I work out, I do, uh, then I come home, take a shower and do my cold therapy. So the studies were based on full body cold exposure. So they said that they could actually boost dopamine by 250%. So if we're talking about a cold shower, we'll say like half that, maybe we can double it, you know, just, just throwing some rough estimates out there, but there's some great studies to back how much we can. So if you start your day off with cold therapy and you boost your dopamine that significantly, I mean, I feel like invincible in the morning. I'm like ready to attack the day between the the boosted blood flow with the workout and then the cold therapy it also how long how long do you stand under the freezing cold shower for so i've been doing it for a while so um i usually do between three and five minutes sometimes even a little longer but the great thing is you can start off with just 30 seconds you know just real quick at the end and at first it feels like a little bit miserable but there's a couple of reasons why it's beneficial not only is it going to boost the dopamine but also cold therapy over time can help reduce the 
systemic inflammation. And we, one number one, know that inflammation is the root cause of many chronic diseases, but also we don't want that inflammation in the brain, which can present ADHD and anxiety, depressive disorders, things of that nature. And again, it's not the only cause, but it could be a cause. So cold therapy can help with systemic inflammation as well. And it can boost your adrenaline, which is really going to give you a major boost of natural energy. In the studies, it was by about 500%. But since we're just talking about an at-home application in the shower, I'm sure it's significantly less than that. But even if you know we, we boosted it by 100%, that's a great way to start the morning. But I think cold therapy can be super beneficial for the brain specifically. It can also help improve your vagal nerve tone. So the vagus nerve runs between basically our gut and our brain. And it's really important to mood and a lot of different things, but it can also, cold therapy can also help strengthen the vagal nerve. Chanting also can do that as well. So actually I do a little bit of chanting. My neighbors probably think I've totally lost it, but (laughs) a little bit of chanting with the cold therapy. And then I kind of killed two birds with one stone. So cold therapy is a great biohack for sure. And you can also start it at home and you can start it with like 30 seconds and increase. And now it's going to be like warmer weather. So, you know, it's not as bad because you don't go from like a freezing cold shower out to a freezing cold winter. And hot therapy, there, there's also, you know, studies to back the benefits of, of like sauna, for instance. I do sauna three or four times a week. It's great for boosting your detoxification, activating heat shock proteins. And both of these work as something that is called a hormetic stressor or hormesis, which is essentially the concept of stressing the body a bit to increase our overall capacity to handle stress. So you want to be careful with hormetic stressors. If you have a ton of stress on your plate and you're feeling like overwhelmed and you have a ton of anxiety, it's probably not the time to add in like cold therapy and hot therapy and exercise. <laughs> it's got enough because, shock to the system. Exactly. So it's one of those things, again, where we want to pay attention to how we feel because we want to make sure that we can handle it. But if we can, then they can certainly be um, beneficial to the body and the brain. What do you think is next as we were starting our conversation before we were recording, just talking about, you know, all this technology that's coming into not just brain, but longevity. Curious to hear where you think health and wellness is headed to. Definitely. Real quick before we move on to that, though, I want to just talk about meditation because there are so many science backed Um, reasons to meditate. So in studies, meditators versus non-meditators, the meditators had more gray matter in their brain. So overall, the volume of their brain was better. And why is that important? Because as we age, we start to lose that. So I think of meditation exercise as well, but meditation is like the ultimate brain anti-aging hack. So not only was there more gray matter, also the amygdala, which is our fear center, can actually decrease in size. So anxiety and stress, things that are related in that area of the brain can actually get smaller. And then in studies, the hippocampus, the cortical thickness of the hippocampus is actually increased. So in every way, meditation, I know that it can be difficult to get into because It takes stillness in a world of craziness right now, but if you can just use um, any app, I mean, Headspace, I use a neurofeedback headband talking about biohacking. Um, It's called Focus Calm, so it actually measures the brainwave state, so we have all sorts of brainwaves that we cycle in and out of every day, theta, beta, delta, and so we gamma, we cycle through these all day and it measures the brainwave state. So you know how effective your meditation is as a biohacker. I always want the data. So I do that, but you can, it it can be as simple as just thinking to yourself for a few minutes. So meditation, I wrote an article, maybe we'll link it here too, um, for birdie that is all the science backed reasons to meditate, but major way to improve brain health in the short term and definitely in the long term. So meditation. For those studies, what or to get the benefits, where do you feel like the amount of time that one needs to spend, or is it really again individualized to you? Yeah, it's certainly individualized, and the studies that I'm referencing specifically, they were they were years of meditation. I think it was somewhere around five. I'll double check, but you just want to build it into a habit. So it's definitely meditation is one of those marathon, not a sprint habits. It's something that hopefully, you know, you can start to implement in your life for the rest of your life, but there are also short-term 
immediate benefits such as, you know, lower heart rate and less stress and better mood. So there's reasons to do it for the now and then there's reasons to do it for the long term. Have you ever listened to Mimi Bouchard to that superhuman app? Yes, she's so sweet, actually. I'm, I'm going on her podcast soon. Yes, I've done some of those. And I love it because she put a different spin on meditation. So it's like working meditation, meditation while walking, while doing something. I love it. I think that she's awesome. And I, I think do too. I think it's just like such a great way, especially for someone who has a hard time to sit down and do it. Like it's a great way to ease into your day and really make part of a daily habit. Absolutely. And with all of these things, there's, I love to do what I call habit stacking. So if you build a habit, a new habit that you want to have onto an existing habit that you already have, it's going to be a lot easier to stick with it. So as an example, I wanted to start doing red light more frequently. So I literally put my red light panel on the back of my bathroom door. So when I get out of the shower, I'm already undressed. All I have to do is step in front of it and then I can brush my hair. I can do everything else that I was going to do anyway. But now I have this additional benefit because, I mean, if we think about it, it looks like biohackers. That's all they do. I mean, and this could take up your entire day, right? So um <laughs> Either that or I put the red light panel and I do the meditation at the same time. So, or my gratitude in the red light panel. So at least I'm kind of checking more than one box because we just want to make this actually doable too. I love that. And real quick, before we move on to what's next, can you talk a little bit about benefits of red light? Yeah, sure. So there are the topical benefits of red light, which are things just like um, reducing inflammation in the skin. They say it can boost collagen and elastin. It's good for skin health, but I really love it for the deeper internal benefits. So red light can energize your mitochondria. Your mitochondria are the powerhouses of your cell. And so it can be really great for increasing your energy, but also there's some studies being ran, you know, for um, mood disorders, things of that nature. So I think that there's there's a lot of potential. I think light waves in general, if we think about it, we've always been kind of run by the light, right? So we wake up with the morning sun, uh, we go to bed as it, as it um, sets. Light can be so powerful for our vision and our optic nerves. So looking at light in the morning in terms of sunlight can actually boost our circadian rhythm, wake us up naturally. Looking at light in the evening as the, as the sun is setting can be really powerful as well for keeping our bodies on track. So I think light therapy is, is great. But yeah, I like obviously the topical benefits and the internal benefits. It's great. So what's next in wellness? Yeah, I mean, so we were chatting about a book that kind of lays out a bunch of really interesting things, like very sci-fi feeling, right? Like these mini robots going in, taking little samples. I think that's like really far down the line, but I think bioindividuality is what's really making, um, you know, becoming the star of the show because we've tried to just label people in all these different groups for everything, whether it be medications, how much you take, well, everyone's individual, same thing with diet. And so I think that what's going to become more popular is people understanding their own benchmark or baseline. You know, something really interesting too, that Dr. Will Cole, he, he really taught me, but you know, when we look at labs in general, those labs, they differ from lab to lab. So, and they're all based on for the most part, sick people, because who goes to get their their blood drawn the most? It's people that aren't feeling so well. So if we're benchmarking my health and your health against, you know, uh, a number of people that didn't feel very well, and then we're looking at the average, then sure, all of our labs might come back and say that they're normal, but we still don't feel good. So I think that's like the next big step is getting to these, what I would call functional ranges. And that's what functional medicine looks at. So what based on your own genetics and your own body is going to be best for your personal hormone levels and your gut health, things of that nature. And I think gut health is, is the next big one. We all talk about it, but I think that these two things, if we implemented them really well into standard medicine, I think people would feel so much better. And then in the future, I mean, who knows, maybe you and I will both be living to like 250 and they will find a way to like reverse cellular age. I think the sky's the limit right now. It's incredible the technology that's going into all of these different areas around our health to further extend 
our lives and what's what's going to be capable in the future. Definitely. I mean, and wearables are obviously a big yes. piece of it too. You I'm know? a whoop wearer. Whoop. Yeah, I have the aura ring. I, I've never really liked bracelets much, but I think the whoop is um is really good. But then I have like a, a metabolism checker. So you breathe into it. It tells you if you're burning like carbs or fat. Um, I have all sorts of like little wearables, the neurofeedback device. I think that us understanding at home uh, what's going on with our body is definitely a big piece of the future and of what we're experiencing right now. Absolutely. Well, we are going to wrap it up with some rapid fire questions. Okay, great. What is your superpower? I think my superpower would be servant leadership, um, or at least I hope so. I mean, that's really like my goal in life is to learn, take what I learn and offer it to other people. Must read health book. I think, um, well, I think Ben Greenfield's book, Boundless, is incredible if you want to get into biohacking. And I would say if you want to learn more about the brain, any of Dr. Amen's books. Favorite Instagram accounts to follow other than your own on uh, for the best health advice. Mark but everyone Hyman. should follow you because I love how you bring information to your community. Thank you. Well, yes, my Instagram is just my name. It's Kayla Barnes. But um, I think Mark Hyman is incredible. Dr. Amen is amazing. Dr. Joe Dispenza, um, we didn't even really touch that much on the mindset piece of the of the brain. I think of the brain as like hardware and software, and that's upgrading the software. But Joe Dispenza is amazing. Jim Quick is incredible. He's a good fi- friend of mine, but also just amazing in terms of mindset. So those would be my top ones. Three things that you're currently loving. It could be anything. Um, three things I'm currently loving. Still loving cold therapy, and I committed to doing cryotherapy every day for 30 days. I'm loving wow. it. I feel amazing. That's hardcore. <laughs> it, it, it felt like it at first, but now it just it feels really great. Um, I'm also loving this. It's actually brain photobiomodulation. It's called the V-Light. And so, um, yeah, you put it up your nose. It's red light therapy for the brain. So it's boosting your mitochondria health of the brain. And then something that I do too for the brain quite often is hyperbaric oxygen therapy. I was in in a chamber a little bit earlier today. So those are three things I'm loving. What do you want more of in your life? Female friends. (laughs) What do you want less of? Um, I think stress in general in society, I want this to alleviate a little bit because I think it's really unfair for a lot of people. And I think that it's really uh, shifted how people's brains are working. And I would really like us just to get back to normal where we can, you know, hug people and go out and have fun and joy is a big part of life. So I hope that that changes soon. A meal that you'll never forget. Um, I do love grass-fed, grass-finished steak. So um, for me, like steak is a really good one. Um, yeah, so I'll never forget, I guess, a sous vide steak because it's a, the cleanest way to cook. Just don't use a plastic bag. I use a stasher bag with some grass-fed butter and like a blueberry compote um, and some carrot fries are so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And lastly, what is your number one non-negotiable to thrive on your wellness journey? Going to bed on time. What time yeah, do you go to bed? Sleep. Yeah, because if you sleep well, everything the next day is going to be easier. I mean, you're going to have less cravings. You're going to make better decisions. You're going to feel better. And you're going to have motivation to do all of the healthy habits. Wonderful. I could not agree more. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Anything else that you want to say as we close? I, I just really appreciate you having me on. If anyone's interested, um, yeah, my Instagram is my name, Kayla Barnes, and my website is Kayla Barnes too. So thank you so much. Wonderful. Kayla, thanks so much for being here. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.